I had a wonderful experience some, I don't know, five, six years ago uh, in which one of those God moments occurred. I go to Cuba quite often to teach and one morning after a lecture to doctors, a rather more than averagely distinguished looking Cuban came up to talk to me and he said, I'm the professor of Marxism and Leninism in the local university. I've been told about you uh, and I want to ask you whether you will debate me tomorrow morning in the faculty on the nature of ethics. What are human ethics? Now there's no way I would turn that one down. Uh, I had one evening to think about it and say my prayers uh, and then we were on, so to speak. Now the interesting thing was, in thinking about it the evening before, in debate the opening is important and I had several starts that would work. But I knew that there was a better one. I had not a clue what it was. Now there's no neurophysiological explanation of how you could know something you don't know before you know it, if you see what I mean. But it was true. Um, I didn't get the answer until I moved from my seat to the lectern to make my presentation. Three steps. And the first ten minutes of the lecture were changed, just like that, inside my head. And I said, well, will you please write on the blackboard in Sp Spanish, this message assembled itself. So he did. And then I asked the audience, of professors and graduate students, if you'd come into the lecture room and found this written on the board, would you believe it to be true? This message assembled itself. Can you make any sense of that sentence? No, it's a nonsense sentence, isn't it? I mean, it's perfectly grammatical, but it doesn't have any meaning. It can't possibly have any meaning. And I said, of course, you're absolutely right. And then I turned around and crossed out the word message and put in DNA. This DNA, the genetic code, assembled itself. And I said, but you do believe this sentence. But don't you see, it's exactly the same sentence. All I have done is translate the word message into scientific gobbledygook and suddenly you believe it to be true. Now in Cuba, they burst into applause. I had won the debate. Because they'd lived under scientific materialism long enough and they knew it was ruined and I was going to take it to pieces. Uh, isn't it astonishing that at the heart of every one of your cells there is not things but a message? written in code, so powerful that it needs only four letters to describe you and me. It's very interesting, there's lots of fuss about uh, creation science, and rightly so, I wish they'd call it creation apologetics science, wouldn't deal with it in that way. But nobody bats an eyelid when I would think 90% of major cosmologists and quantum physicists mention God in their books. As one of them said not long ago, if you do quantum physics or cosmology and you don't think about God, you can't be thinking. And I think that's a reasonable comment. Roger Penrose, for instance, says, and he's not, as far as I know, a serious believer of any sort, but he says, it looks to me as though the maker's aim had to be accurate in one part, raised to the power 10, raised to the power 123. Now that's a number you can't even think about with 123 zeros in it. Out by one, we wouldn't be here. That's how finely tuned our cosmos is. And of course, if you think about it, you have to believe in a god of order underlying nature in order to do an experiment. 
If you believe in evil spirits, as say most of the world did at that time, then evil spirits explain life, but evil spirits are local. So if evil spirits are a real description of life, then there's no logical reason to do an experiment. It would depend which evil spirit's domain you were in as to which answer you would get. The world is arbitrary, in other words. To this day, that still causes problems in parts of Africa and Southeast Asia. That's why we can't transfer our technology. Many of the modern people think that technology is value neutral, as they would say, but it isn't. It always matters what you believe. Once inductive reasoning had been shown to work, once experiments had been shown to work, you no longer needed the belief system that made it a tenable proposition to begin with. It had been proved in another way, and off you went. And I, for instance, have spent my life doing science as though, as trying to find out how much of the world I could explain without invoking God. I think that's what science is. Now, not everybody agrees with me. Some think, think one should involve God more than that. But that's what I did. And that's what most people do. That doesn't mean I don't believe in God at all. It just means that science no longer requires that hypothesis to be done. But it's a very poor child who doesn't recognize his ancestry. Without that belief in God, it would never have happened. Uh, Bacon and Descartes as well started teaching that facts were things that you now call facts. Up to that point they were different and this is an important move. For you a fact is something that you can observe with your senses and which other people can observe. That is common property to both of you therefore. But in the ancient world the most important facts were moral facts, not physical facts. Even for Newton, physical facts were not primary, moral ones were. He says in the introduction to the Principia that he feigns no hypotheses, by which he means I'm only giving you a model of the universe as I understand it at the moment. I don't pretend that that is what the universe is. Now, of course, the Newtonians thought he got it all right. In fact, he hadn't, but he had a good run. 300 years is a long run for a scientific idea. What we do in science is produce a model of reality which is good enough to explain the data we have at present. The, the, the length that those models last is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Uh, take my own area, molecular biology. Uh, ideas don't last any time at all in that area now. And yet people persist in behaving as though science gets it right and morality gets it wrong. It's actually the other way around. If you think about it, Truth and falsehood have been the same since day one. They have never changed. About any event, you can make a truthful or a false statement. So the moral universe, unlike the physical one, is not expanding. It stretches from falsehood to truth, from love to hatred, from honor to dishonor, from justice to injustice, from fidelity to infidelity. You get the picture. And we live in the middle. That doesn't mean that I know the truth about everything. That would be entirely arrogant. But to say that because I don't know it, it doesn't exist, that's utterly foolish. There is a truthful and a false statement to be made about everything. Our problem is to find out which one we're dealing with, and that is not easy. I don't know if you've thought about this, but our consciences are very interesting. 
we have moral feelings and we have moral thoughts. Now, in the ancient world, they had two distinct words for that. They called moral thought, synderesis was the word they used, and moral feelings were conscientia, which, from which we get our word conscience. Now, they also understood that moral thought is almost 100% fail-safe. Moral feelings are almost the opposite. And we, have we become a world that feels or a world that thinks? If you ask yourself about the ordering of good things, it really does matter. Even two very good things like truth and loyalty have to be in the right relationship. And it's a little thing, isn't it? Which is top, truth or loyalty? Many businessmen think they want loyalty above truth in their business. They should think twice about that. Politicians invariably think that they need loyalty above truth. That's very bad for us. Because if a society puts loyalty on top, how do you get your job? By whom you know. And if truth is top, how do you get your job? By what you know. That's a huge difference. No society that puts truth above loyalty will be threatened by a society that puts loyalty over truth in the long run. Uh, we're well on the way to a loyalty-driven society, aren't we? This is almost like heresy, isn't it? To say that tolerance is not the thing that really matters. What you need to think about is, what are the things I do not tolerate and why do I not tolerate them? Now, if you're married, you won't tolerate another man taking your wife with saying, well, I'll be tolerant, so you're not going to say that. You certainly won't tolerate abuse of your child when you have one. So that a whole, once you ask the question, just list the things that you won't tolerate. And amazingly, they're very important. When you use the word values, you've lost the argument. Because the other person's already said in their head, my values, your values. And where do you go in that kind of argument? So it's better to ask what is flourishing for the family, what is not. What is the truth about the world? What is false about the world? Everybody knows that these real things exist and we get sucked into this nonsense. Because if there is no objective reality that comes from beyond us, then actually it all boils down to power. And at least three uh, groups on campus all teach that the law is not about justice, it's about power. That's a spin-off from this kind of thinking. If it's true, we're meaningless, and we all know we aren't.